What up, guys? Your boy Quake back with a brand new episode of the Diverse Mentality Podcast, number 209. And I'm not going to lie to you guys, this episode does not have a lot of stuff in it because there really wasn't a lot of crazy news. I know there is some stuff with Lizzo, but uh, I'm focused mainly on hip hop. And then sometimes I sway off into business or AI or stuff like that. And uh, yeah, really, there hasn't been a lot of news. And I saw some comments on the last uh, episode. Uh, I think it's your favorite commentary. I think he comments a lot, which is really dope. I appreciate you for commenting. Uh, he said, you know, you should have reviewed a lot more albums. I, you know, I just don't have a lot, you know, like it takes a lot of time to dedicate to each thing that I'm doing, you know, like on the main channel, diverse mentality, which where all the documentaries are at, I've only dropped two videos this year, which is insane. So that means within these next upcoming months, I got to drop a lot more, which I'm working on. So you know, di dividing that time, dividing the podcast time, dividing trying to grow diverse mentality as a brand, uh, you know, social media, all that stuff. I do have, you know, a team a little bit that deals with the Snapchat and Facebook, which I appreciate. And then I have, you know, the video editor for the podcast, which I appreciate. And those are the only people basically on my team besides my manager that finds me sponsorships. He doesn't deal with the daily stuff. Other than that, I'm dealing with basically everything every single day. So it's hard to dedicate time to, you know, album reviews, uh, top 10 lists, all that stuff. And it's hard to come up with ideas, too, on top of that. So, uh, you know, I try I try my best to, de to devote, devote uh, here am I always butchering words on this damn thing, devote time to, you know, uh, delivering more engaging things like album reviews and top 10 lists. I'm doing more of those as time goes on. So I'm, I'm going to try to, you know, balance all these things out and then, as I grow, as I become bigger and bigger, obviously you can hire people to start doing more of the things that, uh, you know, this social media work and all this other stuff outside of just the creativity of stuff. So I don't have, you know, that big team, you know, where there's six, seven, eight, 10, 15 people where a lot of these, you know, platforms that have millions and millions of dollars, they do have that. So, you know, bear with me as I, you know, as I gauge through everything. It's not that I don't want to review certain artists and I don't care about them or, you know, Travis Scott was obviously the biggest one out of everybody besides maybe Post Malone that dropped. And uh, and the new music list, you know, I don't understand what that website completely missed a bunch of stuff. So I didn't know Post Malone dropped. I didn't know Tech 9. Uh, it's hard to keep up with a lot of music as well while you're working on, you know, other things. So and then you got to balance, you know, your personal life and making sure that you don't, you know, uh, you know, you have some sort of social life. So it's, it's hard to balance everything. So I just wanted to say that, that, you know, I'm trying my best. And this year is looking really good in terms of uh, growth outside of, uh, you know, the podcast and the main channel. A lot of social media growth we're having, which is really good because that means more revenue and that means that the podcast can keep going. And, you know, by the end of this year, I'll be able to gauge whether the podcast can continue going, you know, and then towards the down the line, I'm also going to start inviting artists and guests and stuff a lot more. I know I said that a while ago, but, you know, I'm working on that right now in this area. It's way too hot to invite a guest. Uh, we don't have the AC unit installed in here. Uh, we only have the heater. So in the winter, it's good, but... Uh, here is just way too blazing hot in this part of the uh, uh, office. But in the other areas, it's cool, but you can't fit the whole podcast in those areas. This is the only wide open uh, type of area that you can fit it in. So, yeah, I just wanted to say all those things. We're working, we're progressing, uh, you know, and growth takes time. You know, uh, I remember when I first started the podcast, uh, a lot of people were supporting and a lot of people were shitting on me. I have a lot of those messages uh, shitting on me and saying this is garbage. This is never going to succeed. Well, it's slowly growing. It's slowly succeeding. So it just takes time. These things, uh, you know, I definitely underestimated how much time it would take. 
you know, I was hoping within, you know, two years, maybe we'd get that, but, uh, you know, it's gone over two years and usually within three years, you know, if something's going to fail or succeed and it looks like this year we're doing really good. So that's a positive and everything. Uh, let's get into the news. So there is some news that is very interesting. And of course I want to start it off with AI, artificial intelligence and music and, uh, Lil Wayne's take on it, which was very interesting. And most artists probably feel like this. I'm sure every single artist actually feels like this. And this is what I agree with. I do feel like uh, AI is something that, you know, can be used for good uh, and then it can be used for bad. So like Beanie Siegel, you know, using it to complete his album, great. Um, but, you know, there's other ways that can be used for bad, which we discussed like lots of times on here. So the article says Lil Wayne isn't convinced about artificial intelligence ability to reproduce his talent on the mic, explaining that it's hard to recreate one of a kind, which I totally agree. Uh, you cannot recreate Lil Wayne's brain and how he comes up with lyrics, bars, delivery, all that. You can mimic his voice, but that's really about it. So Lil Wayne was on the issue of a billboard and uh, they're celebrating the hip hop 50 years. Uh, there was also a men's health of hip hop 50 years of 50 Meth man, Busta Rhymes, Wiz Khalifa, and I believe one more person that it might be uh missing but you know he, he sat down to do an interview and uh Lowen just basically talked about AI he said listen AI is not going to catch up to what I'm doing uh AI has no chance of being what I am regardless of the type of technology that comes out in the future and that's true like I said you cannot re re you can't make the human brain and the creativity that comes the originality that comes from it from an AI because when you think what AI is it's taking all the information in the world and compiling it into one. And all that information, guess what, came from humans. So, you know, it's basically just living off of human information. So that's just because just off of that, it will never be able to replace the way humans create just off of that. Uh, so he says, quote, someone asked me about that recently, and they were trying to tell me that AI could make a voice that sounds just like me. But it's not me because I'm amazing, he said. I'm like, is this AI thing going to be amazing too? Because I'm naturally, organically amazing. I'm one of a kind. So actually, I would love to see that thing try to duplicate this motherfucker. <laughs> so shout out to Wayne, man. I love the confidence. Uh, he's gracing the cover of Billboard. Very dope. Uh, he's like in this saggy outfit, which I haven't seen somebody in a saggy outfit in forever. I don't know what the t-shirt says. I love something, but... uh. You know, it's a great celebration of hip-hop's 50 years. I wish um, there were a few documentaries that came out that were really dope, <clears throat> but I, I wish there was more done on the hip-hop 50-year anniversary. Uh, you know, if I had, like, you guys know me, man, if I had a big, big budget, for somebody, Netflix just said, or Hulu, or one of these platforms just said, hey, here's some money, do the hip-hop 50 years, sell it. Oh, my God, I'd go off. I would go off. You would get. You guys would get, like, a 10-part documentary of an hour each episode, so 10 hours just going traveling all like this year. That's all we're done is just traveling and interviewed people part of hip hop from the beginning to the end. So uh, not the end, but beginning till now. So um, really dope, man. Hip hop 50 years uh, elsewhere during the chat. New Orleans uh, said the New Orleans rapper said, I don't have a secret. I just work. I keep, I just keep going. I never stop. It's just a work ethic, plain and simple. No more, no less. I don't do nothing but my music. And also in my mind, every single time I say the word work, I ask God to forgive me because I know this was never, this has never been a job. It's just a dream come true. So that's why I've never stopped. <laughs> yeah, man, when you do what you love, it doesn't feel like a job. So uh, I really try to encourage everyone to try and do what they love, figure out what they love and try to make that your actual job because, you know, uh, 
that aspect of your life, you're going to be spending a lot of that part of your life. You know, like most people work eight hours a day. So that's literally, you have 24 hours in a day. That's one third of your whole day, every single day. So, or at least five times out of the week, depending on what your schedule is like. But regardless, I do, you know, I do encourage people, if you have a vision, if you have something you want to go towards, work towards it, man. Uh, you know, it's, it never comes easy. None of this stuff comes easy. There are some people that get luckier a lot earlier and get blow up like that one TikTok girl that just randomly blew up on TikTok. Now she's doing interviews with Mark Cuban, Drake, Lil Yachty, all these big superstars. And I'm like, where the hell did she come from? But sometimes that happens to people and they blow up a lot quicker, a lot easier. Um, you know, so everybody's road or journey is a lot different. So, you know, uh, I had my, my moments in 2018 and 2019 where I blew up really big. I mean, what was it? The Eminem MGK moment that was, 75,000 subscribers in one month and like over 30 million views in that month, something like that. That's a huge month for me, even even the 6-9 moment. And, you know, I've had moments where it was huge and I was skyrocketing. Then you have moments where you don't do shit. Like this year, I haven't dropped a dropped two videos, which I did the Get Rich, which is a big accomplishment for me. But I only dropped two videos this year on the main channel. So I need to fix that. I need to definitely drop the end of this quarter, uh, the end of this year, these next five months that's, that's here. I'm going to be dropping a lot more content for you guys. So... Uh, yeah, man. Shout out to Lil Wayne. He talks about all the artists he influenced because he's like all the face tattoos. He's like, you know, artists, artists didn't, uh, nobody had face tattoos or crazy tattoos like this until, you know, I decided to do it. And, you know, he says it in a humble way. He's not like bragging about it or anything like that, but uh dope interview, man. So check out the billboard interview. I'm sure it's on their YouTube channel. It's definitely on their Instagram. More and more people are speaking on this Tupac murder investigation. That's recently sparked up again. And everybody's talking about Tupac a lot more. A lot of topics are on Tupac now. And uh, Chris Carroll, who uh, was there that night when Tupac got shot, who actually held him in his arms uh, and knows his last words ever that he ever said, uh, speaks on what's going on with Keefe D and the murder investigation, the art of dialogue, interviewed him. And they've been interviewing a lot of people. I, I feel like they, they actually played a role in Keefe D getting uh, this murder investigation and getting his uh, house uh, searched because the way they came in with like military and all this stuff, they 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 took it very seriously, and uh, it's going to be interesting to see what comes out of that. But they interviewed Chris Carroll and they basically asked him, "Hey, uh, what's going on with the with the Tupac? Why did they? Why do you think they they raided his house, Kefidi's house, and what are they searching for?" And you know, after the reports came out that they found laptops and uh, a bunch of other stuff, computers, you know, laptops, computers, files, uh, pictures. Uh, bullets you know bullets that potentially could be matching from a long time ago and chris carroll re revealed something that was very interesting let's let's quote what he's saying this guy keefe d has been shooting his mouth off for a couple of years now openly telling everybody that he's part of the murder the retired officer said about the 60 year old suspect he says he handed orlando anderson his nephew the gun and orlando anderson is the shooter and shot tupac he is openly saying i handed him the gun well, that makes him part of this murder. And uh, he revealed something in an interview that was very interesting. He said, I've heard rumors that he even had sold some items that he told people, you know, were there that night. Whether that's bullshit or not, I don't know. But to think that not only is he admitting to being part of the murder, but now he's going to profit from the whole deal. That's crazy. Um, so that's probably one of the things that, you know, intrigued them, you know, the police, Las Vegas Police Department, because 
you know, when he admitted to all, all the stuff that he had done in 2009 to the police officers back then, they basically gave him uh, a deal where, hey, if you admit to us everything and it checks out based on the information we got, you can't get, you can't get, you know, locked up for this stuff. But they only gave him that deal for that specific conversation and for that specific moment. They didn't give him that deal for the rest of his life. So, like a moron, he decides to start doing interviews in 2017. The first one was with Vlad, and then from there, he kind of got this internet stardom fame, started doing more interviews, Art of Dialogue, all these other platforms, and you know, started revealing more and more information, which is very, very stupid. And then eventually Las Vegas police said, you know what, from 2017 till now, you've told us so much information. We got a search warrant that we're going to look up. And if he sold items relating to that, that is insane. Like those people that bought them are going to get, you know, investigated themselves. And it's going to be crazy to see what kind of, what kind of items come out of this situation. And the bullets is just one, you know, maybe the computer has, has photos, has stuff that, you know, nobody's ever seen, you know, and I don't know why Keefe would keep that type of stuff, but I know people that do keep shit like that. They keep lots of old stuff and they just keep it for, uh, bragging rights or just, just to have for memories. So, uh, I would not be surprised if they found something and I would not be surprised if Keefe D gets sentenced because he's been running his mouth like crazy about everything. I don't think he realized what the deal was in 2009 when he did talk to those uh, police officers. I don't think he realized what the deal was. I thought he thought, I thought he thought he thought that probably, hey, he was going to be after he admits to this, he's good. He's never going to get locked up for this. That wasn't the case, man. Uh, he clearly doesn't know what he got into, and there's no new interviews from him right now at all. So the one that Art of Dialogue are posting are ones that we recorded before the whole, um, you know, investigation and pulling up to his crib and all that. So, uh, yeah, we'll keep our eye on this. Uh, you know, everybody's got their own opinion. Everybody's, you know, Napoleon said that, you know, uh, the Las Vegas Police Department never wanted to solve Tupac's murder. This is all just a hoax and stuff like that. And everybody has their own point of view. I do feel like, you know, they do want to at least close the case, put an end to it. You know, even if it was Orlando Anderson, just say, hey, based off the evidence we got, it was Orlando Anderson. Keefe D was just somebody that played a role in it. He's going to FaceTime, whatever. And that's it. You know, uh, it would suck to FaceTime at 60 years old, man. You avoided this this whole thing. You're base. You're from what? 1996 till now you avoided this whole thing for you know damn near 30 years and your dumbass is blabbing about stuff i wouldn't be surprised if keefe d decides to snitch on uh you know anybody that he can at the time maybe he involves diddy and says hey i have information on diddy i have proof on diddy you know and then diddy gets dragged into this and all kinds of stuff starts to happen if that happens the internet's going to break if diddy somehow gets dragged into this Internet's going to explode because a lot of people, you know, there are a lot of rumors, a lot of stuff. Even Keefe D's alluded to it that Diddy paid a million dollars to get Pac killed. Like Eminem said, uh, what do you say? that? Uh, I got to get the bars on that kill shot song. But Kale's the day you put out a hit, the day Diddy admits that he put out the hit that got Pac killed. Ah, Yeah, so that was that was hilarious, man. That caused a huge fucking, fucking stir. Uh yeah, that was, that was a great moment in hip-hop, man. I wish we got more moments like that, man. That's what I'm saying. So, yeah, we'll keep our eye on this, see if there's any updates. Uh, the police officer does believe that it's going to take a while for any updates to come out, like any evidence and somebody get prosecuted, all that. That's what he thinks, but he's like, I don't know. I'm just throwing stuff in the air, and that's what I'm assuming. But, you know, could happen this month, could happen in the next year, so we don't know. Drake. Drizzy. Drizzy. 
Uh, Drake is on tour right now, and Drake is doing numbers on tour, as usual. Um, so he makes history, history, and pulls in five million, 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 yes, million. We're not talking yen. We're talking dollars here. Five million dollars just from one show. I know they canceled. They did cancel a Memphis show due to the logistics, but uh, yeah, let's talk about this. Six Gods, it's all of Lure Tour, tour. Rumbled through Washington, D.C. for a pair of shows on July 28th and 29th, which made him his first, the first rapper to eclipse five million in revenue from a single arena concert in U.S. history. So it's two shows. I thought it was uh, from just one show. That's what the title says. Let me see. According to touring data, the Capital One Arena concerts each banked on average uh, five. $5.032 million in ticket sales, which amounts to combined $10 million across. Okay, so, yeah, one night. Uh, the back-to-back sold-out show concerts drew a reported 34,303 attendees with ticket prices averaging $293.40. Damn, that's a lot of money, man. Uh, these huge figures mean his July 28th stop in D.C. is also his highest-grossing concert of Drake's career. Drake even referenced $5 million for a show Bag during his tour stop in Montreal last month while performing his 2013 hit started from the bottom on which he rap about getting 500,000 of the show. Um, which is fucking crazy. Let me play this. Yeah, Drake's a billionaire. Let's let's just, you know, I'm, just, I'm, I'm pretty sure he's not netting all that 5 million, you know, because there's a lot of costs of you know production setup all the people that you know pay on the tour so he's not netting that five million but he's probably netting three million dollars at least i'm sure two maybe even four million but that is fucking insane five million for basically i'm performing for an hour and 30 minutes maybe two hours max i'm sure it's an hour maybe an hour and 30 minutes i don't know how long usual concerts are i don't really time this shit when i'm in a concert but uh yeah five million dollars for a show is utterly ridiculous and just shows that if you grind, we're not going to make $5 million a show. Let's keep your buck here. I'm not going to ever. But if you grind, you do, you know, from jumping from 500000 in 2013 a show, which is insane money regardless, to making $5 million a show, that is fucking ridiculous. So shout out to Drake, man. A big round of applause for him. He's, he's killing this tour, and he's probably raking in. He is definitely a billionaire. I don't know. Um... You know, why it's not officially confirmed on Forbes. Maybe he wants to keep it on low. Maybe, I don't know what's going on, but I, I I wholeheartedly believe he is a billionaire because, you know, the amount of money he just gambles is fucking ridiculous. Like, he can just blow $3 million, and it's like, eh. You know, if he bets on the wrong person, loses $3 million, eh, it's not a big deal. You know, this is like life-changing money for all of us. So, it's crazy, man. So, shout-out to Drake. Big round of applause to him, man. Meek Millie! Man, he's done an amazing transformation when it comes to his career. Started out doing a lot of street music, being the typical rapper's rapper, gets locked up, comes out and just starts speaking about racism, uh, you know, the system being against minorities, all kinds of stuff where, you know, because he's been through it. He had to deal with probation for over 10 years and you know, how, like, the system can trick you into taking probation and you'll stuck with them for 10 years. And if you do anything wrong, it could backfire immediately and you got to go back to prison. So Meek Mill's done a lot of advocating for all that stuff, especially for minorities. 
and he's done like a full 180, and it's it's been beautiful to see. He's still delivering great music. Obviously, I think Wins and Losses is his best album, in my opinion. But regardless, uh, Meek Mill said something on stage where he claimed that labels pay rappers more to talk about ignorant stuff. So let's talk about what Meek Mill said, and then I'm kind of give my thoughts on it. Uh, Meek Mill believes that hip-hop culture has been crippled by labels who value reductive subject matter over meaningful lyrics. On Sunday, July 30th, the Dream Chasers mogul was invited by the NAACP uh, to participate in a discussion panel alongside Robert Kraft, Henry Louis Gates, and NAACP President Derek Johnson for the organization's national convention. Hate has no home here, a moderated conversation on racism, anti-Semitism, and building bridges to fight all hate was moderated by Joy Taylor and sought to explore hate crimes in context of racism and other forms of discrimination. During the discussion, the Philly native shared his thoughts on violence and crime as a recurrent theme in hip-hop music and how it is allegedly encouraged by the powers that be. So let's talk about what he said. Before I wasn't on stages like this, he referred to now being in better position to inspire change. I was on rap stages rapping about violence and guns. We get paid to rap about that stuff. They actually pay us more when we rap about ignorant stuff. So I make sure I even the line and come and talk on stages like this. He's saying that, you know, labels encourage them to rap about more ignorant stuff. Now I can see here's here's the the double edge the double edged sword here. Labels don't openly say, hey, hey man, if you talk about violence, we're gonna pay you a lot more. No, they don't do that. But they do behind the scenes promote those songs a lot more. They'll push because here's the thing, right? And I truly believe this in America. This is what I believe. Any song can be a hit in America if enough money is put behind the song. I truly believe that. If you put enough money behind any song in America, I'm talking about any artist, any song right now, you put $100 million, just say, $50 million, whatever the amount is, have it being played on every radio station, every playlist, everything, everywhere you go, it's there. I believe it can become a hit because some songs are not that good. They just get played so many damn times. It gets stuck in your head to the point where you end up liking it because that's just a programming that a lot of these labels do. So I do feel like labels do push a lot more of the ignorant stuff. Obviously, you know, they don't want people to you know, listen to music and, you know, enjoy themselves or get smarter, or, you know, that type of stuff. Uh, you know, Kanye was talking about frequencies and music beats and how they choose 808s and how it's gotten more aggressive because of the 808s and how it messes with people's frequencies and they get crazier. So I truly believe that as well. I think labels definitely push more money behind the songs that are more violent, you know, or just more provocative, more, uh, you know, ass shaking and shooting, killing, all this stuff that's not really deep, I guess. It's just surface level bullshit. I do feel like they do push that, but, but here's the but here that Meek Mill... I don't think uh, recognizes that if we don't support that, if we don't listen to that, even though the labels push it, if we just decide, hey, I'm not listening to this shit no more. Like me personally, I don't listen to no more anybody dissing about dead ops. I don't like, you know, rappers talking about dead people and I'm not never bumping that shit again. If I ever hear a diss song about dead ops of this person, this artist, I don't care. I'm not listening to it. I'm not mentioning it on the podcast. Nothing. I could care less about that stuff because that stuff is just way too damn far. If you're dissing, you know, going to the rap battle back and forth. That's cool. It's a competitive art form, as we all know. So that's not too big of a deal. But when it gets to like dissing dead people, that's too much. So people do like aggression 
violence. It's just more entertaining for people. People gravitate more towards negativity. It's unfortunate, but it does play a role on the people as well. It's not just on the rap label. Labels do, though, you know, do that sneaky shit where they promote more of the violence so then it makes us want it more subconsciously without even realizing it. And it is more entertaining. People just like that shit more. So I know that labels, you know, there's a lot. There's I was going to do a documentary, or I will do a documentary in the future about this. Uh, it's something that I really want to explore, and that's uh, death clauses and label contracts. Because when an artist dies, they usually skyrocket in sales. You know, especially if the artist fell off a long time ago. Let's just say, you know, they haven't delivered a hit. You know, let's just say they're huge, right? Like Madonna, for example. She's not delivering hits in 2023. But she's got a classic uh, catalog of music. So when she dies, it's more beneficial for the label because the music skyrockets. People reminisce on her. All this type of stuff. That's just one example. Michael Jackson was a great example. At the time he was alive, you know, wasn't delivering any hits, wasn't delivering any albums. Dies, all of a sudden, everything skyrockets. That just benefits the label. They do have death clauses in the contracts that if you die on this and this, we have life insurance policies if you die earlier than expected, this and that. So they get more money off that. So I do believe labels... A lot of labels have bad intentions and they're encouraged to do a lot of negative things. But like I said, it's a double-edged sword. One is the people demanding it. They liking it, loving the the dissing, the violence. Uh, people more gravitate towards that negativity, unfortunately. Because let's be honest here. Uh, if you're out in a club, you know, do you want to hear Nas telling you a great story or do you want to hear, you know, turn up music? Ass shaking music. Ah, oh, pop that pussy, shoot, blah, 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 man. Fuck, blah, blah, blah. So that's what I'm saying. I, I think... I think people like it too as well, as much as you know, people don't want to, as much as people say, hey, stop the violence, let's not do all this gangster rap stuff, people still listen to it at the end of the day, man. If you really felt that way, you guys would have, to be honest with you, you guys would have boycotted the Travis Scott album. That's no shots at you know, Travis Scott directly, but let's be honest, the Astroworld thing was crazy. Lot, lots of footage of him treating his fans bad. Music sounds a little wild too sometimes. Lots of artists that could have been banned, you know, even my favorite, 50 Cent. Hey, gun shooting, talking, killing. Ban him, man. So, but yeah, people like that shit, whether they uh, acknowledge it a lot. I don't, I don't mind. Like, here's the thing. I don't mind when people listen to it. No problem. Okay. You're bumping it, but don't let it influence you. Like me as a kid, when I was listening to 50 growing up, no, did I ever want to tote a gun? No. Did I ever want to sell drugs? No. Did I ever think about shooting anybody or doing anything street? No, because I was raised better. You know, I know it's, it's a form of entertainment. It's not really a hundred percent real, even though some of the events, you know, Obviously, 50's done a lot of gangster shit in his history, but you know what I mean? So that as long as don't let it influence you, don't let it change who you are, you know, keep your keep your uh, self intact because once it influences you to do bad shit, that's when it gets bad. Like Juice World, for example, listen to Future, got influenced to try lean and do it. And then ultimately he's had a huge drug problem, ended up dying. So that's what I mean. Just don't let it influence you. I think it's okay if you listen to it. I have no issue with it. Uh, I'm going to let my kids listen to it. I personally don't really care. I think... Um, as long as it's not influencing them in a crazy way, that's all good on my end. Uh, continuing on, he said that double, N- double ACP opened doors for people like me to be able to power forward. The things that fund us don't power me forward. Uh, he said, he, he added, I'm, I just make sure because I know better. I'm at an age point. I'm 36. They power us really from where we are, 21 through 25, where we really don't know. I'm one of the lucky ones that made it through and was able to get my knowledge and sense. Yeah, so 36 years old, you know, by the time, if you're not, you know, by 30, if you don't have your shit together and you're still fucking around, getting locked up and just doing dumb shit, then you're never meant to, never meant to actually mature up because by that age, it's like, come on, bro. Now you're just, 
You're just trolling at this point. So, yeah, man, dope for me, Mill. Big round of applause for me, Mill. He is a uh, really, really transformed himself. I love it. I love the transformation. Hope it shows more in the music as well. Like I said, I'm, I'm, I'm good on the shooting, killing, and stuff. It's, it's, it's fun for a track or two, but after that, it's like let me, let me hear more on this project of what you got. That's why I like wins and losses, dealing with drug addiction, death that he dealt with, uh, all kinds of stuff. You know, fame, Nicki Minaj leaving. You know, so all kinds of stuff like that that he was he mixed all into that project, which I really enjoyed. So yeah, uh, I'll be on the lookout for the new McMill album for sure. Some new information with the Y and W Melly double murder trial from a juror that believes most of the jurors felt that he was guilty. That is crazy to hear from a person that was there throughout the whole case, and it raises a conspiracy theory that maybe some of these jurors got paid behind the scenes because when this juror explains the story, it raises your eyebrows and makes you think. So let's go over the article. YNW Melly's former jurors have started to speak out now that the rapper's double murder trial was declared a mistrial, and apparently most of them believed he was guilty. Judge John Murphy declared a mistrial on July 22nd, according to Law and Crime. At the time, the jury deliberated until 5 p.m. Eastern on Friday, July 21st, before breaking for the evening. They resumed deliberations on Saturday, 8.52 a.m. Eastern. While it's unclear what went down in the deliberating room, one former juror told Florida Outlet Local 10 News that it was one manipulative woman that convinced two other jurors to deem him not guilty, resulting in the 9-3 mistrial. That is very, very conspiracy theory. Somebody paid somebody into the table. I'm not saying it's true. I'm just, this is thoughts that are coming into my head because that's very, very weird. And manipulating, That's that sounds crazy. So the person said this, from day one, she had issues with the foreseen person selected. At one point, crossing her arms and saying she was done. When another juror asked to not shut down and set her feelings aside, she exploded, the anonymous juror claimed in an interview with the outlet. She was explosive, manipulative, she was rude, she yelled insults at anyone who had a different opinion. She was there to cause chaos. The agitated juror had reportedly said during Vire Dior, a preliminary examination of the jury pool by a judge or counsel, that she had previous experience with the legal system because of past family issues, but insisted to the judge that this would not clout her ability to serve as an impartial juror. The former juror went on to tell local town news that on the last day of deliberation, the jury was 11-1 in favor of convicting YNW Melly for the murder of his two friends, YNW Sack Chaser and YNW Juvie. However, the juror said the woman in question pulled two other jurors aside and spoke to them privately, convincing them to flip. Then she came over and announced to the group that they had changed their minds. But when another juror asked why she was speaking for them, she exploded, the former juror claimed, adding that the woman then allegedly hurled gay slurs at the man who questioned her. It's something we're never going to forget, they said, of the mistrial. We were shaking at the end. Uh, the juror added that the claim made by Melly's mother in which James, Jamie Demons King said the mistrial meant nine people believe in her son's innocence was just not true. That's just not true. I don't want someone out there changing my vote, the former juror said. You tell a lie enough and it becomes the truth. So like we reported earlier, uh, the retrial is set for October 2nd, but that is some very interesting information. 
like I said, I wasn't really on the fence. I was more on the on the side of YNW Millie did it, and I'm not going to be surprised if he does get convicted. I don't know if he's going to get the death penalty, but if he gets convicted, he's definitely going to get life because murdering two people is just, yeah, nobody's going to let that shit fly for 10 years. So that is crazy, man. I think that lady, maybe, okay, there is, that, there is the theory that maybe because of past experiences uh, in court with family members, like she said, you know, maybe that clouded her judgment. That did cloud her judgment. I mean, she felt, hey, the system's going uh, against another minority and, uh, you know, it's fucked up. But, you know, there was 11 to 1. That was the only lady that was against it. So, you know, 11 to 1. And these people were there every day, 24-7. I wasn't there every day, 24-7. You weren't watching this shit 24-7. I bet you weren't. I'm damn near sure if you're watching this right now or listening to this, you were not watching the YNW Millie trial 24-7 as it was live streamed. I wasn't. You weren't. They were. So if that was 11 and 1, it just goes to show he's guilty and you're just delaying the inevitable. Now, I do believe that YNW Mellie should be on house arrest because of this time spent because of the mistrial. That's not his fault. I feel like he should get at least house arrest until October 2nd, which is just a couple of months, two months, basically. But, you know, uh, they feel like he should stay locked up. Okay, it is what it is. If he actually murdered the two, it's final. Uh, yeah, he deserves to rot in prison. Give him death penalty. Give him the fuck out of here. He had a great opportunity at life. Great music. But decides to kill people because it doesn't split the money four different ways. That's dumb, man. That is very dumb. That's some greedy shit. That's some evil shit. And yeah, man, trying to pass it off like you didn't do it too. Just be a man, man. Accountability. Here's the thing, right? If I kill somebody, I'm going to be 100% honest. I'll just straight up say it. I feel like those ones that do it like that, it's accountability, man. You know, and go in there and try to uh, pray away your sins and hope that, you know, you can repent from all the stuff that you did. But we'll keep our eye on this, man. Maybe more information is going to come out. But this is clear as day to me that something was going on behind the scenes. Someone is getting paid under the table. My speculation on it. So, yeah, October 7th, we're going to get a retrial. Let's go. Waka, I go hard in the motherfucking paint, sucker. Anyways, uh, why am I talking about Waka Flocka? Waka did, well, said something that I wish um, would happen just because I want new music from 50. So, yes, it's about 50 Cent. It's about the final lap tour. It's about Busta Rhymes and 50 Cent. So Waka went to Twitter, or better known as, well, actually not better known, but Twitter, known as X now. So it's kind of weird saying, hey, he went on the platform X to talk about uh, something crazy. So he said on Twitter, which I'm going to still call Twitter, the culture needs a joint album from Busta Rhymes and 50 Cent. Don't give us a tired-ass excuse because y'all going on a worldwide tour. That's too much fucking time, LOL. First off, I 100% agree. You know, I you know, 50 Cent and Busta Rhymes, that would be the least expected collab album ever of all time for me personally. I just would have never expected that. But the only time they ever collabed was on that uh, Ja Rule diss track. Haley Mary, I think. Haley Mary, maybe. On that title, I think it was that title. I don't exactly remember the title. But that was the only time they actually were on the same track together, you know, recorded on the same track, dissing Ja Rule. That's it, though. Throughout all this time, they never hopped on a track together, which is interesting. Um, but to get a joint album from them would be very, very unique and different. Would I be really excited for that? Nah. If anybody, if I want a joint album from 50... It's Eminem and 50. That's what I want to join an album for. But I would obviously tune in. It's 50. I would go live. I would react to it. It's 50 Cent. Man. I haven't got an album from that guy. And we haven't got an album from that guy in 
2014, since 2014. So it's a long time and damn near 10 years. So I would tune into anything relating to album and 50 Cent. Uh, you can make 50 Cent and Slim Jesus on a track together, and I would still tune in from Frank Block. Shout out to Slim Jesus. If you don't know who Slim Jesus is, he's a legend out in Frank Block. Uh, check out his song, Drill Time. Pulling up my fucking gang. So he's a you know he's a white rapper that did some drill music. But I, I would tune into anything. 50 Cent and, uh, I don't know, Jim Carrey joint album. I don't know, 50 Cent and uh, Jackie Chan joint album. I don't care what it is, man. I just want some 50 music, so if this is what it takes, if Waka Flocka tweets this and Busta Rhymes and 50s decide, hey, man, we are on tour. We do got some time. Why not record an album together? That would be cool. I would I would tune in regardless. I don't know if it would be good or not. That's a good uh, question. Uh, you know, it would probably be, I don't know, it would probably be an average album because 50 and Busta are definitely past their prime. And uh be interesting to see if they can make something modern that would hit, that would become a hit. I think they definitely... At least, if they're not going to do a joint album, I would love a track or two right now, currently, while they're on tour. Make a track or two together. So that way they can perform it on tour. That would be cool. Um, but, you know, they got Jeremiah on tour, too, so maybe something with Jeremiah as well, even though 50's collaborated with Jeremiah like 90 million times. And to be honest with you, I think 50's the one that kind of has kept Jeremiah's career alive throughout all these years because Jeremiah really hasn't had that... that, that uh same impact he once had. And then once 50 jumped on the down on me record and boosted it up and did that, uh, that video with that kid who unfortunately passed away. I think like last year, a uh, Keenan, Keenan, his name, something like Keenan Reeves, something like that, or Keenan Keenan, something like that. Uh, he was huge on YouTube doing lip sync videos. He did one with 50. He was the first celebrity to do it with him. And then all the celebrities followed because they saw the impact and how big it was. But you know, um, I'm here for it, man. A 50 and Eminem joint album is what I've been wanting my whole life. I wish um, I wish that that would happen, but I don't think that's going to happen with him, with Eminem signing a new artist to his label. You know, uh, you know, I just don't see anything happen like that anytime, anytime ever. You know, I would hope it does, man. But, um, you know, if I had 50 here for an interview, that's the number one thing I would, I would try to drill in 50's head is we want a joint album from UNM. Even though it's past prime, I would have loved it in like 2004, 2005. You know, I still want to join out for them. I would still listen. I would still support regardless. Um, but yeah, a lot of people, I posted this on the Instagram just to kind of get people's responses. One person said, what we finally need is a joint album for 50 and Eminem, executive produced by Dr. Dre. Um, 50 ain't focused, so I'd rather he not do that. Uh, shit, why can he be on track two? Why the hell not NY thing? Uh, I guess it would be cool for the culture, but I think it's a little too late. Personally, in 06, 07, that would have been fire. Uh, nope. He said, I, this person said, I'd love to see one of Nas. I would be totally, totally open to 50 Cent and Nas collab album. That would be insane. That's another person that I'd be really interested in. Um, let's see what other people say. Nah, I'm good. Never been a big Busta fan. Uh, why? This is fire, but we like MN50, of course. Busta going to feature on a few. So, yeah, I think uh, 50 can't rap no more. Uh, that shit going to flop like a flock B disc unless they remake. Nah, I don't think it's going to. I don't think it's going to flop. I think. I don't know. I, I think if they get the right, the right one right song with the right feature, I don't think it would flop because 50 and Busta Rhymes, they can still. I'm not saying they're going to out here and sell, you know, 200,000 first week. They'll probably sell like 30, 40 K first week, which is not a flop considering how old they are as artists how not consistent they've been throughout the years when it comes to releasing music and albums, even though Bus has released quite a few here and there. 
but that's not bad. Like if they do 30 to 40 K first week, that's great numbers. You know, if you're I, in today's time, if you do a hundred thousand first week, you are considered a top tier artist. You consider doing numbers. That's huge numbers. If you're doing a hundred thousand first week, anything, if you do like 70, 80, you're up there pretty good. If you're doing like 50, that's still pretty good. But if you're like doing 20, 10, you know, uh, maybe 30, depending on what artists you are, you know, depends all on the artists and how long, if they're new, if they're old, you know, if they've been consistent musically or not, you know, like, let's just say Lil Durk drops and he only does 30 K that's a flop because Lil Durk's been consistent musically or little baby drops and he only does 30 K like those type of artists that are consistent, you know, it just doesn't make sense when they do that low of numbers, but you know, 50 and Busta Rhymes, if they did 30 to 40 K, that's a hit in my book. Um, you know, I don't think that's a flop. I think if, it's like the game or Nas can do 20K on their own, 30K on their own. You know, 50 and Busta Rhymes not being able to do 30K, 40K, I think they would do that. And that's not a flop to me, at least personally. That's how I would view it. But, yeah, I mean, we'll keep our eye on this and see. And, uh, you know, I doubt anything will happen, man. Anything music-related, I've kind of given up on 50 when it comes to that. I just kind of get what I can get, you know, with a Nas feature, with whatever theme power songs he's doing or BMF or you know, you just kind of got to take what you can get. Features with a Spanish artist here and there. So, uh, yeah. Shout out to Waka for at least bringing it up, though. Billboard Hot 100. Let's see who's on the top of the charts. Jason Aldean. You know, a lot of this country music, man, is killing it, man. They're fucking killing it this year. Uh, he is number one. He was last week number two, so that's good. He went up to let's try that in a small T. Uh, Morgan Wallen's number two with Last Night. Fast Car Luke Combs, number three. Fuck You Mean got a number four. That's climbing up, man. That was six last week. It's number four right now. So he might have a might have a number one hit on his hands if people keep bumping it. The snitching rumors, it's it's I, it's so funny how different people are treating the Gunna situation versus the 6ix9ine situation. It is super funny. I, I don't know, man. I think people are just like, oh, he didn't snitch on me, so I'm still bumping music. But the same energy isn't towards 6ix9ine, which I understand there's a lot more involved in 6ix9ine situation versus the Gunna, but they both did the same thing. If they, you know, at least that's what people are saying Gunna did. I don't know. I wasn't there, and if he actually did it or not. But, you know, he's climbing up, man. Number four, that's, that's congrats to him. That's doing good. Uh, calm Down, Rima Silen Gomez, number five. Cruel Summer, Taylor Swift, number six. K-pop, Travis Scott, Bad Bunny in the weekend, debuted at number seven. Barbie World, Nicki Minaj and Ice Spice with Aqua at number eight. Jung Kong featuring Lotto, seven, number nine. The song is called seven, but it's at number nine. Vampire, Olivia Rodrigo, number 10. Going down, Lil Dirk, All My Life, number 13. Creepin' Metro Boomin', number 20. Favorite song, 2C, number 23. Going down. Search and Rescue, Drake, number 35. Princess Diana, Ice Spice, Nicki Minaj, number 40. Delhi, Ice Spice, number 41. Debut, put it on the floor again. Lotto, Cardi B, number 42. Let's see. Let's see if that Nicki, uh, the 6 9 and Kodak Black song charted. Doesn't look like it. Peaches and Eggplants, Young Nudie, 21 Savage, number 57. Yeah, it doesn't look like Shake Something. The Baby, number 65, which is uh, a new peak for that song. That's interesting. He's starting, he's starting to get numbers on that song because I see it a lot more on TikTok. Oh, You Went, Young Thug Drake, number 66. Going down. Tyler, the Creator, See You Again, number 79. Blood of the Face, Lil Uzi, 80. 
Yeah, going down on this list. No, I don't see. Damn, they don't got that 6ix9ine and Kodak Black song at all on here. That is interesting. That song is doing numbers, at least in terms of YouTube views. Damn, they really got 6ix9ine blackballed out here. They really don't fuck with him. Holy shit, he's nowhere on the Billboard charts right now. That is wild. Let me see how much numbers that fucking song did, bro. Because that is insane. Let's see. That means 6ix9ine is 100% right. That shit is at 19 million views. How is that song not nowhere near or even on the Billboard Hot 100? Let me see. Maybe I missed it last week and I just didn't notice. But it, I'm sure it's this week that it was supposed Because if that, that's 6ix9ine and Weekend, I mean, not 6ix9ine, but if that Weekend song with uh with Travis Scott and all that debuted at number seven, let me see. I got to search this chart history because that is very interesting. That the song did numbers, and the fact that it's nowhere near uh, charting, like not even on the Billboard Hot 100, is wild to me. Let's see. What's the song title, man? Got a unique title. It's a pretty funny title. It's like Boom Shakalaka or some shit like that. Waka, Rondo, TikTok. Damn, these ads, man. Billboard be flooded with the ads. Yeah, that song's nowhere near it. Holy shit. To pay $1 million for a feature and not even have the song chart. I thought at least Kodak would help him chart, but yeah, guess it's not on the charts. That is crazy. But yeah, that's it for today's episode of the Diverse Mentality Podcast. Thank you guys for the support. As always, commenting, liking, sharing, all that. Uh, have an amazing, well, I'm tripping right now. Spotify, Deezer, Pocket Cast, stream us, all that, Apple Music, whatever, Apple Podcasts. Uh, have an amazing night, day, whenever you listen to this, and peace.